Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Raik van Ikerk and my guest today is Julian Koski. He's the co-founder and chief investment officer of New Age Alpha. New Age Alpha was founded in 2018 and his headquarters are in Rye in New York. The company also has an office in South Africa in Greenside here in Johannesburg. And even more interesting is that Julian built and owns the Kubili House Safari Lodge near the Kruger National Park. Julian was born in South Africa but left for the US in the early 1980s. Julian, thank you so much for joining me. It seems that you can leave South Africa but South Africa never leaves you. Absolutely, absolutely. South Africa has never lost me. And I love coming back there and I come back there very, very often because I, I really love going to the lodge. So South Africa and New York are my two loves and it's um, where I spend my time. But there are definitely not many asset managers who've got an office in primarily in the US and also in South Africa. How big is the South African part of the operation? So the South African part of the operation is really more, it's a sub-advised relationship that we have with global and local there in Johannesburg. So it's a big part of what we do, but the majority of what we do is done is operationally done out of the United States. The name of the business is New Age Alpha. Now, I always find it very interesting when an asset manager uses Alpha in its name. It can uh, come back and bite you a bit. But tell us about what exactly New Age Alpha is and what your investment methodology is. Sure. Well, it all starts with a basic philosophy that we have that we think portfolio managers have an imperfect understanding of where alpha actually comes from in the first place. They think in terms of picking winning stocks when really their goal should be to avoid losers, right? If I drew a straight line for you and that straight line was the S&P 500 and I put winners at one end and losers at the other and I ask an audience of portfolio managers, how would you design a portfolio to beat this S&P 500? 99% of them are going to say pick the winners. But to pick a winner, You have to have some knowledge of the future. And the future, by definition, is not known. And the more we actually forecast this unknown future, the more we're increasing the likelihood we're going to be wrong and investing in a loser. And what we've done is we've built a methodology completely around the idea of avoiding losers. And we've departed from traditional portfolio management ideas. In fact, we've drawn on the principles of insurance to do this. That's a very interesting approach, but avoiding losers, is that not maybe that a, a typical focus area for hedge funds and maybe rather short the losers than go long on the winners or the what you perceive to be winners? Well, in actual fact, what we notice about this risk, there's a risk inside stock prices that is different from firm-specific risk. So the risk that a factory burns down or a CEO passes away, the traditionally accepted notion is you diversify your portfolio away to mitigate that risk. But this is a risk that affects stock prices that investors aren't aware of. They're not even getting paid for taking this risk. But most importantly, you can't diversify this risk away. So the fact that you're not getting normally, you know, the higher the risk, the higher the return. With this particular risk, the higher the risk, it's not getting a better return. So the only way of dealing with this risk is to actually avoid this risk. It's not about trying to mitigate the risk by trading the risk because high human factor stocks, stocks that have got a lot of human bias built into them, those are not stocks you actually want to essentially uh, short. You can, but better to avoid them, right? If you watch what happened with GameStop yesterday here in the United States, yes. that stock, that stock has got a, we calculate mathematically, it's got a 100% chance it will fail to deliver the growth implied by its stock price. So 
Yes, you can short that stock, but look what could happen mm. is if the rest of the behavior catches up with you, you might you might lose a lot of money. Look, just ask the hedge funds what's happening to them. You've recently launched the New Age Alpha US large cap equity avoider ETF. Can you maybe just explain exactly how it works and, and which shares are included in that ETF? Basically, we've launched two. The first one is, is called AVDR. And what that is, we take the S&P 500 and essentially we remove 450 names with the companies that have got the greatest chance of failing to deliver the growth implied by that stock price. And as I said, we use a mathematical formula to come up with that. And we're left with 50 names that uh, remain in the portfolio and we weight them by our probability. In other words, we provide more ownership of those names that have got the lowest H-factor scores by way of probability. So in terms of the names and the, the things we actually own, I can give you just some names if you're interested to see. If you just look at the holdings of these of these companies, it's not generally names you associate with S&P 500 ownership, but it's Occidental Petroleum, Autodesk, Broadcom, MSCI. The two probably well-known names, Goldman Sachs, Walt Disney, Darden Restaurants, and Teradyne, those are the top 10 names. And the FANGs, the, the Facebooks, uh, Alphabets and the like, are they included? No, they're not. They're not. Because for the very simple reason, remember, we don't talk about failure because we think Amazon and Facebook and them will fail. No. What we're saying is there's another way to generate alpha without owning those names. Because if any one of those names fail to deliver the growth implied by their stock price, they're not going to... They're not going to go out of business, but they're going to hurt someone's portfolio. So all the alpha or outperformance you've created will get eroded by the fact that you own those names. And those names today, as a percentage of the S&P 500, really will hurt the portfolio. So is there another way of having S&P 500 returns that can beat the S&P 500 without the ownership of the FANGs? The answer is yes. The fund was launched quite recently, but did you retrospectively look at what the returns would have been if you've started earlier and used the same methodology? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. We, you know, we've been, the, the indexes have been live for a very long time, so we've got the track record of, of the indexes. So, for instance, last year, the S&P 500 was up 18.4%. This was up 22.84%. And that's what we expect to happen. We, we believe, that's why we call it New Age Alpha, we believe there's a new way of generating alpha that is radically different from what people do today. We, we think the people or oh, the investors that actually think that they're generating alpha are contributing to the problem. And we're disintermediating that problem. I'm looking at your website and I see you actually list a significant number of indices with performances. Are the exchange traded funds linked to all of these indices? There's only two right now. We've done the S&P 500 uh, one and we've done an ESG fund. But this year we'll be launching another uh, 10 to 12 different ETFs. Yes, the goal is we'll be launching a family of products around this methodology. We just rolled out the first two and we'll be doing probably another 10 sometime this year. What are the risk profiles relative to the risk profiles of markets at the moment? Because we are seeing equity markets running significantly. And while we are seeing a depressed economic prospects, we're seeing a lot of liquidity in the market and a lot of expectations. But there's a, a suggestion that the risk profile is, is higher than it was in the past. Do these portfolios protect you against that risk? 
So, yes, I'll give you an example of that 50 stock component portfolio of the S&P 500. It has the same standard deviation of 14.9 of the S&P 500. So you're getting a better return with the same risk profile, but you're getting 112% of the upside capture and 86% of the down. So the goal, yes, is to protect an investor in the up and the down. It's not a hedge fund. It's not going to be able to you know, protect you on the short side, but it's got a much better risk profile in terms of upside capture and downside capture with the same standard deviation and yet a better return. There just can't be 500 stocks, all that can contribute to, to, to the returns. There are losers in there and you want to remove them. Have you seen an inflow of funds since launch? Yeah, it's just beginning now. So we've got institutional investors. So we are owned by half by an institution. So their capital is coming in and we're beginning. The sales process is beginning. So flows are coming daily now. They are coming in daily. And they are available to buy in South Africa? I think they are. I think it's just a brokerage account. Are, are, are South Africans allowed to trade uh, USA equities? I'm not sure. Um, the products in South Africa are designed for South Africans. Those are not ETFs. Those are unit trusts that are being offered. Yes, you can if you open the, the correct trading account. What do you think of market valuations at the moment? And how do you think investors should view these valuations? So again, you're right. we, do, we don't forecast the future. But what our indicators are saying is that, you know, the S&P is reaching a point where of fair value in our view, right? So if you look at the math and you do the math behind the S&P 500, you've got majority of firms coalescing around the 50% probability of delivering growth or failing to deliver growth to, impl to implied by its price, which would suggest fair valuation if it's at 50-50. But then you do have names that have much lower probabilities of failing. So, so it is the time to be a stock picker because you want to be careful of the ones that are fairly valued and you really want to focus on the ones that are overvalued and undervalued. And so, yes, in general, the market's fairly valued, but there's still a lot of opportunity. You're probably not going to find it within the S&P 500 as a whole, but you will find it within a portfolio of stocks that essentially either pick or avoid stocks around the S&P 500. I think it's a very interesting approach. You have your contrarian investors or your deep value investors who would actually go and look at those losers and and see whether there could be recoveries. That is a, actually, you know, it just shows you there are many, many different methodologies that are out there. And I don't think right. many investors actually go and look at the methodologies and understand exactly what the differences are. Well, there's one notion I remember growing up in South Africa. It's the insurance companies that own the buildings that banks are in. And there's a reason because they look at risk completely differently. You know, we have a saying, manage risk like an actuary, not like a portfolio manager. And what we mean by that is, you know, you think about an actuary. Does he ask you, are you going to quit smoking? Are you going to go to the gym? No, he could never underwrite risk based on that kind of vagueness. He uses mathematics to do it. The same thing here. When you think about a stock, there's only two things absolutely known about a stock at any point in time. And that is the actual stock price and the financial statements. The rest, it's all vague and ambiguous information. And that is exacerbated by portfolio managers because they impound that information into those prices and they make the situation worse, far worse. Who developed your mathematical model? My partner and I together developed it. So we, um, myself and Armin Aris is the other co-founder and he is the CEO of the company. And together we've done it. We've worked together for the prior 20 years doing this. This is a long process of development. We built another company, Transparent Value, that we sold to Guggenheim Partners in 2015. 
and this is the next uh, phase of our of our lives and doing it again. Yeah, I think that you know many, especially in the in the crypto space, there are many institutions or individuals who claim they've developed bots that are are trading at one percent margins every single day. Can you actually predict? valuations and market movements through a mathematical system or methodology, how much human intervention is still needed to select the correct equities or the correct uh, holdings? Uh, So on our side, there is zero involvement by humans. It's all math, right? So we're we're using mathematics. Let me give you maybe a quick example of the math, right? So you know, the way it works, let's let's take Tesla for a moment and just look at Tesla, right? If you took a stock like Tesla and let's say it was trading at $100 a share, that share price implies that they have to sell a certain number of cars every quarter. Now, let's say that that implied that they had to sell a thousand cars per quarter, right? Now, if you open their financial statements to the prior 16 quarters and you calculated an historical distribution of that growth rate, one could safely assume that in the next quarter, had they done a thousand cars per quarter for the prior 16 quarters, you can assume that the next quarter, there's about a 100% chance they're going to do it again. But now, if that stock price is at $500 a share, and let's say that implies that they sell now 10,000 cars per quarter, well, guess what now? If in the prior 16 quarters, they'd only done a thousand, the probability of selling in the next quarter, selling 10,000 cars is about 5%. So, The more the stock price is impacted by human behavior, the more the company has to deliver to support that growth. And a lot of companies historically might not have done that. So there's a high chance of failure. So it's actually a very simple algorithm. It just looks to see, wait a minute, that's what that price is doing. What does it imply? And therefore, based on the past, can it actually deliver that? And and trust me, there's a lot of alpha around the simplicity of that. It's just understanding what you know what has the price done yes i understand what you're saying but virtually every single investor in tesla are smiling at the moment because the the performance has been absolutely phenomenal and they should have been smiling because if you did this math i did this math 18 months ago tesla was trading at 253 dollars a share 18 months ago now that implied that tesla generates six billion dollars in revenue Furthermore, it implied that they sell 95,000 new cars per quarter to justify that price. Now, had I, I did the exercise, you look back 16 quarters, and what you saw, that Tesla had an 80% chance it was going to deliver that growth. Well, guess what? That meant the company was completely undervalued. Let's just go back in time. On that date, when it was trading at $253 a share, there were 169 headlines about Tesla out there. 130 of those headlines were negative. You had some of the biggest shorts in the market saying Tesla was going to go out of business. But that's the very vague and ambiguous information I'm talking about. It found its way into the stock price. And in that case, absolutely underpriced Tesla. And one can all agree Tesla was completely underpriced. And so that's, that's what we did. It is What you're saying is right, Rake. Uh, but people made a lot of money and, and deserved to make a lot of money. It was the right call. It just seems uh, counterintuitive that a company that has run so hard is included in a risk-averse portfolio like yours. No, but, but you see, Tesla, so when we had it back then, we owned it then, but we don't own it now because now, now Tesla's probability of delivering the growth implied by the price is 50%. It's reaching fair value. There's no opportunity there. 
but back then absolutely it was um it, it was a screaming buy because there was literally an 80% chance they were going to deliver so based on odds if you think about what we're doing we're calculating the mispriced odds that are in the market it's almost like horse race you're looking to see what where are the odds mispriced from human behavior and you buying the stocks that are mispriced it's very interesting how often do you change the composition of the portfolio every quarter we do it because every quarter there's new financial statements that come up so the models are updated every day for the current stock price but then quarterly for the financial statements that come out and that's all that goes into it how many mathematical inputs do you use to to uh, look at a specific company I don't know the number offhand, but it's 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 not considerable. But it's a think of a balance sheet and income statement. What's in there? So, and if you think, you know, maybe maybe it's worth looking at how things are done today. The way things are done today is an analyst will sit down and he'll make some kind of forecast or assumption about the future. He's going to predict how many how many cars Tesla is going to sell, and from that, out, the outcome of that's going to be if he thinks the stock is under or overvalued. We start with the stock price. So think of the stock price as an input. That's your primary input. And then you take your balance sheet and your income statement and you work backwards to calculate what does that growth rate imply. Once you've got that number, you then look to see, well, what's the likelihood they'll deliver that number based on prior performance? So the inputs, I, I don't know the exact number rate, but it's whatever balance sheet and income statement would hold. Interesting. Gillian, thank you so much for your insights and time today. This is really truly an uh, almost a unique type of investment approach and, and good luck with the future. Thank you very much, Rake. Much appreciated. That was Gillian Koski. He's the co-founder and chief investment officer of New Age Alpha.